Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Stat Chasing Week 16. My name is Sam Poppin, and I'm your host for the show. Thank you all for tuning in and listening to the show or watching the show, hopefully. If you have not tuned in before, this is where I'll be going through many of the key stats that I think are important to help lay a foundation for what happened in the NFL this past week, which there is certainly a lot to digest and also talk about what's happened in the past couple of weeks because things are changing. We want to stay on our toes, make sure that we are reacting properly and getting the right information. And today I'm going to get you all of the information that you need. But before I get into the details, going to talk through quickly the stats that I'll be using today from PFF is where I get all of my routes data. That's any route specific metric I use, uh, targets per route run, anything like that. I also use their expected fantasy points, which is a model built that weights opportunity by the line of scrimmage and primarily use this as a measure of player usage and workload. From the NFL play-by-play data is where I get most of my data that's NFL faster. That's where I get air yards, which is the distance the ball traveled in the air before it gets to a receiver. Have weighted opportunity rating or whopper. Uh, That's a stat that Josh Hermsmeyer created that weights air yard share and target share. Also have racer, which is receiver air conversion ratio, along with pacer, which is passer air passing air conversion ratio. For racer, that's receiving our yards divided by air yards. Pacer is passing air yards divided by passing air yards, and these are essentially efficiency metrics shown to or used to show how well receivers are com- uh, converting air yards into actual yards. Also have quarterback adjusted yards per attempt, which is just a quarterback's yards per attempt, but is weighted with bonuses given for touchdowns and uh, points taken away for interceptions. Also have pass rate over expectation that or PROE, uh, which I'll refer to as the NFL faster play-by-play data has a variable that determines the percentage chance that the play will be a drop back and then compare the rate of that to a team's actual passing rate. And there you get passing rate over expectation. Also have CPOE or completion percentage over expectation, similar concept, but with completion percentage on passes for quarterbacks. And then have a couple of stats popularized by Ben Gretsch have weighted targets per outrun, which weights air yards and routes run with a general scaler included. Also have high value touches, which is a running back specific metric carries inside uh, that's carries inside the 10 yard line and any reception also going to refer to green zone touches, which is any touch uh, whether it's a carry or a reception inside the opponent's 10 yard line. So going to, go through the league position by position to compare against others in the position, help you make your some of your final start sit decisions, waiver claim decisions, and maybe put a little DFS spin on it as well. And then I'm going to go through a couple of team situations at the end that stood out to me that I wanted to dive deeper into. So, A quick reminder to subscribe to the YouTube channel, uh, become a member on the YouTube channel for just $5 a month. This show, not stat chasing specifically, but ship chasing will be running throughout the off season. You can get access to the discord, be able to use some, some fun emojis in the chat as well. And one quick shout out to at change on call, excuse me, at change college on Twitter, who has been doing an awesome job this season, adding the timestamps to the YouTube for each of the positions and team conversations. So if you're a returning listener can just skip ahead to 
the meat of the program, which is the best part. And that's going to start right now. So I'm going to pull up my first chart, the same chart as always, which shows quarterback efficiency and production for the last five weeks on this chart have adjusted yards per attempt on the x-axis, touchdown rate on the y-axis, and the size of a quarterback's bubble as his rushing yards per game. Looking for efficiency from our quarterbacks because volume is not necessarily the biggest driver of fantasy success at the quarterback position like it is at some of the other positions. And I'm going to start off talking about a guy who played last night. Didn't have his best game by any means, but someone who I'm increasingly becoming more confident in and becoming a stand of, and that's Kirk Cousins. And I feel like I might be on the wrong side of history here, but he's led the Vikings to a four and two record over his last six games, putting them in position for a potential wild card berth in the NFC. And over his last six games, like I said, he's been playing quite well. He's averaging over 250 passing yards per game, over two passing touchdowns per game, has a 6.6% touchdown rate and 8.1 adjusted yards per attempt, and is actually throwing the ball downfield quite a bit. He has a 9.4% average depth of target, which is among the highest in the league over that span of games. He's throwing the ball about 33 times per game and averaging just around 17 PPR points per game. Obviously doesn't have as high of a ceiling without the rushing ability that some of the other top tier quarterbacks bring, but Certainly has been playing efficiently from a quarterback perspective, has a negative 1% completion percentage over expectation in that span as well, but is top 10 in EPA and CPOE composite score over the last six weeks. And he's doing this without, obviously without Adam Thielen the last couple of games. The Vikings, unfortunately, just don't want to pass the ball as well as Cousins is going to play. They have a negative 2% pass rate over expectation over the last six weeks. And that is, is likely not going to change regardless of the personnel that they do or don't have. I mean, if they don't have Dalvin cook, they're, they're more than confident relying on Alexander Madison to do that work, or if both of them are out, I believe Keen um, in Gangway, uh, probably messed that name up, unfortunately, but um, happy to to run the ball with him as well. But I certainly think from a DFS perspective, Cousins is always one of those guys that is sort of overlooked because people think of the Vikings as a pass first, excuse me, a run first team, which is fair, and they are, but he's had multiple passing touchdowns in each of his last six games, so clearly can be efficient from that perspective. On the flip side, a different quarterback that has had much less success, and you see him down at the bottom left part of this chart is Ryan Tannehill and he is struggling a ton without AJ Brown over his last three games, which, which have all been without Brown, who I might add is looking like he will return this upcoming week. They play Thursday night against the 49ers. He was designated to return and was, I believe participating in walkthrough today, but Tannehill has just been, God awful. I mean, they had they they still want to run the ball as much as possible. They have a negative 10% pass rate over expectation the last couple of weeks. But Tannehill has just has thrown just one touchdown, has a 1.2% percent 
touchdown rate, a 4.4 adjusted yards per attempt. He's thrown two interceptions and is only is averaging less than 150 passing yards per game. So Tannehill, ever since he got to Tennessee, has been this extremely efficient passer, and his touchdown rate has been above 5%, I believe, in each of the seasons that he's been there. And it's just, it's just not happening. I mean, Julio is not panning out like a lot of people expected to. He's only throwing it 5.9 yards downfield with 5.9 yard average depth of target. And because of that, he's averaging fewer than 12 fantasy points per game over his last three. So, I mean, this, this could be a consequence of Derrick Henry being out and teams being more comfortable, I guess, selling out for the pass, if you will, even though the, the Titans aren't throwing the ball a ton, but it doesn't look pretty. I mean, if if you were relying on Ryan Tannehill, you've likely moved on at this point, but there's nothing really to suggest that he is going to, to turn it around. Has a negative 2.7 completion percentage over expectation the last three weeks, so just hasn't been able to be efficient at all whatsoever. Um. No other big things at the quarterback position. The one thing that sticks out to me on this chart here, Tyler Huntley, I think that what the Ravens organization has done, being able to find a quarterback that basically they can use basically the exact same scheme for when Lamar Jackson is out is huge and helps the playmakers, the remaining playmakers on the team have some stability with their play calling and play calling tendencies, all that sort of stuff. So, I mean, Tyler Huntley, I believe, was one of the the better DFS plays this this past week. And hopefully you were able to take advantage of that. But regardless, if he's still in, I have zero worries about the Ravens pass catchers, who I'm actually going to talk about here in a little bit. But before I get to that, I'm going to talk about the running back position, arguably the most important position in fantasy football. And on this chart here, have expected fantasy points, excuse me, rushing expected fantasy points on the x-axis, receiving expected fantasy points on the y-axis, and then fantasy points over expectation as the size of the bubble. And I'm realizing that Christian Wilkins is showing up on this chart and he's a defensive tackle. So must have uh, slipped through the cracks there uh, somehow, but in any case, um, yeah. So fantasy points over expectation is the size of the bubble. That's basically how much above or below expectation they're scoring relative to their actual workload. And one guy who way outperformed expectations, both in, a fantasy from a fantasy perspective and from a real life perspective is Duke Johnson, who was finally treated as a bell cow back. He was the lead back in the Dolphins backfield. And there were actually some quotes. I don't remember if this came out before the game or after the game or during, but Brian Flores said that they rode with Johnson as the starter because Gaskin was out all week due to COVID protocols and wasn't practicing and Johnson was able to practice. So it, w- it was a little confusing to me because I, you know, I kind of figured that practicing the entire season would mean a little bit to that coaching staff and not just a couple of days, but it could have very well been a game specific situation or scheme that they were Working up, but in any case, Duke Johnson in his first start in quite some time got 22 carries, 23 total opportunities, only had one target, had all three of the Dolphins' green zone touches, had four high value touches 
had 70% of the running back touches in the backfield, scored two rushing touchdowns as well. Only played on 58% of snaps. They used Gaskin a bit more in a bit more of a relief role down the stretch. What was kind of shocking was how little they used Johnson in the passing game. He only ran a route on 29% of dropbacks and, and entering the game. I mean, Johnson's been known as the sort of pass catching stereotype, if you will. As far as his expected fantasy points, he scored seven fantasy points over expectation, but still was at 18.8 expected fantasy points, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal workload. Like I said, he had 23 total opportunities, which is the third most in a single game for a Dolphins running back in a game this season. So I think it'll likely be a situation going forward where him and Gaskin are splitting the opportunities. Both of them, those were the only two who got any work this past week. But Gaskin had a 30% running back touch share, which was his lowest since week four and his second lowest total of the week. So the Dolphins signed Johnson to the active roster after the game. So I I would expect this probably to be closer to a 50-50 split moving forward. But this was the the first game since week eight that Gaskin did not record a green zone touch. First game since week four that he didn't record a high value touch. And Gaskin's been sort of the, I don't want to say the model for high value touches, but has consistently gotten them dating back to the beginning of last year had always been, had always consistently gotten high value touches and and was sort of the primary pass catching back in Miami. So if he's not getting those, then he immediately becomes irrelevant and he was never really able to do much with them except on a couple of occasions, but Duke Johnson certainly was able to. The next backfield that I'm going to talk about is the Panthers backfield. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey has been out the last two games for them, suffered a season-ending injury in week 12 when he only played on 36% of the snap. So actually going to to look at some splits for the backfield over those last three games since McCaffrey basically missed uh, two-thirds of the game in week 12. But before, when, when there was the stretch when McCaffrey missed games in the middle of the season, it was the Chuba Hubbard show. I mean, he was averaging over 15 opportunities per game, and there was really no other running back that was getting significant touches. And so I think a lot of people expected that to continue, but that has not necessarily been the case. Amir Abdullah has played a a rather significant amount. He's been at a snap share above 50% in each of the last two games, while Chuba Hubbard has been below 50% in both games. And where the big differentiation is, is with the receiving work, which is what Abdullah is getting. Over the last three games, he has 89% of the running back receptions. He's running a route on 56% of dropbacks, has a 14% target share, and is averaging 6.7 receiving expected fantasy points per game, has nearly five targets per game in that span as well. So truly operating as just sort of the passing down back and pass catching back because he only has 10 total carries over those three games 
but Hubbard is just a non-factor in the passing game. And because the Panthers are just not a great team, they are passing the ball quite a bit more than you would expect. Amir Abdullah also has at least two high-value touches in each of the last three games, while Hubbard only has one total in the last three games, and that came this past week against the Bills. But Hubbard is still, he's he's basically just getting the low-value work, grinding out the carries in the middle of the field, but despite averaging 6.6 carries, per week is just averaging 26 rushing yards per game fell into the end zone once over this stretch. But again, Abdullah has been above a 50% routes per dropback rate over the last three games scored 15 and a half PPR points this past week. So I think if there's one that has a bit of a safer floor, it's Abdullah because he's, he's getting that the high value work. He's getting the, pass catching work and I think just generally I might stay away from this backfield if possible because Cam Newton still does not want to give the ball to anyone but himself when they are close to the end zone all right skipping ahead here is I'm going to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs running backs. And there's been some, obviously, news the last day or two that both Travis Kelsey and now Tyreek Hill have entered COVID protocol or on the COVID list. Could I believe they're both vaccinated, so both could still play on Sunday. But that would obviously impact, potentially impact how the Chiefs use their backfield and the players in their backfield and Clyde Edwards Hilaire has had an interesting past couple of weeks. So in week 15, he had a season high 71% snap rate. Excuse me. That was the second highest, but uh, the first highest since first highest his highest since week one, when he was at 72% has logged at least 13 opportunities in each of the four games since he returned from injury, has had multiple high-value touches in each of those games, has had a running back touch share of 61% in the last four games and has scored three rushing touchdowns, which has helped him average just over 13 PPR points per game. But he's ceding some work to Daryl Williams, who is only averaging 6.7 opportunities per game. But it's not nothing. I mean, he his snap share, I think, if you're if you want to be encouraged by CEH, Daryl Williams' snap share has gone down in each of the last five weeks. So it started at 59% in week 10, was down to just 29% in week 15. But the again, the frustrating part here is that Daryl Williams is getting a lot of high-value touches. I mean, at least relative to his workload, he's had three, three, and two high-value touches in the last three games. So a large portion of his workload are the high-value touches. I mean, he scored uh, some nice receiving touchdowns over the past couple of weeks. And had the only two green zone touches for the Chiefs this past week in the game against the Chargers. And sort of the high value touches and the the green zone touches has always been a bit of a concern for CEH. I mean, if you look back to his rookie year, that very first game he had when he was given the ball three or four times inside the opponent's five yard line, it just didn't do anything with it but one one other positive note for ceh is that he ran around 68 percent of dropbacks in week 15 which is tied for a season high for him so that's 
that's really encouraging. I think the the passing work is going to be what likely unlocks CEH's ceiling moving forward. So I think rest of season, I say rest of season, but there's only two, three weeks left. Uh, three weeks left. CEH is probably an RB2 at this point with Daryl Williams being one of the most, if not the most valuable handcuffs. So if for some reason Daryl Williams gets dropped, I would certainly look to add him. Now, <laughs> different different set of team, different team here with a very different backfield usage who's had a star go down recently. The Detroit Lions, who I believe have won two of their last three games, if my mind is serving me correctly, but unfortunately DeAndre Swift has missed the last three weeks, went down on the Thanksgiving game and hasn't played since. Don't know if he's officially been ruled out for the season, but don't know if there's really any reason for the Lions to get him active again, given the way that their season's going. And in his first game, out Jamal Williams was obviously the lead guy, but he hasn't played in each of the last two weeks. Godwin Buike was also involved, had a 39% snap share in week 13 and a 44% snap share in week 14. But the story out of Detroit is the cuts down hero, Craig Reynolds, who was given 27 total opportunities in their win over the Cardinals this past week had a 75% share of the backfield touches, did run a route on 43% of dropbacks, which is solid, and had only had one high-value touch. Igwe Buike did have two high-value touches of his own. But one of the big problems with this offense is there aren't a lot of green zone touches to go around a good chunk of their touchdowns have come outside of the red zone, which is part of it. But the other part of it is just that the team sucks and and the offense can't typically sustain drive. So Craig Reynolds has gotten again, 13 and 27 opportunities. The last two weeks looks like he's the primary back right now, but has only been able to turn that into 11.9 and 12.7 PPR points, but it's not like his workload has been that big either. He's averaging 11 and a half expected fantasy points per game and is actually averaging 0.8 fantasy points over expectation. So his role or his performance relative to his role is not less than you would expect. It's it's about what you'd expect because it's not like he's getting a ton of goal line carries and not making use of them. He's getting a lot of those between the 20 opportunities which is not ideal for holding a or having a fantasy ceiling so in any case he is the primary back right now looks like he will continue to be so Jamar Jefferson is not really all that involved he hasn't had a snap share over 20 percent in a single game this season has been used when he's on the field but doesn't have more than six opportunities in a single game this season. So Igwe Buike and Reynolds certainly worth holding on to right now and could be some sneaky DFS plays going forward. A couple of other quick notes on the running back position. Mark Ingram was back last night and that actually impacted Alvin Kamara's usage. Kamara only had 55% of the running back carries ran a route on 17 of 30 dropbacks, but did have a solid six targets for a 22% target share. So overall volume, not as great for Kamara. They are obviously playing the Bucks, who are a tough run defense, but it could be 
it, it could be difficult for Camaro down the stretch here, again, given he's that he's going to compete against Taysom Hill for touches as well. Um, James Robinson, in his first game without Urban Meyer, Carlos Hyde was also inactive, but Carlos Hyde, I believe, was just put on injured reserve this morning. But Robinson played 84% of snaps, had 18 of the 19 running back carries, six of the eight running back targets a 15.7% target share and ran around on 66% of dropbacks. So just an elite, elite workload RB1 season for James Robinson. Speaking of RB1 season, it looks like Devin Singletary is turning into the RB1 in Buffalo. Over his last two games, he's played 87% of the snaps, has gotten 24 of 28 running back carries, 9 of 10 running back targets in this runner route on 61 plays compared to just seven for Matt Breida and Zach Moss has been inactive. Uh, Last note here. So Austin Eckler was put on the COVID-19 list as well. And I think the next guy up here would be Justin Jackson. He ran around on 52% of dropbacks while Eckler was limited to just 33% in the game on Thursday night, obviously was a little bit hobbled coming into that game, but Eckler did still tie the week week's lead for high value touches with seven uh, tied with Mr. Leonard Fournette, the high value, value touch King and David Montgomery. So something to monitor there. Moving on to the wide receiver position Justin Jefferson and just breaking the scale on the chart unfortunately did not have a huge game last night in what set up to be an amazing game had the over on his receiving yards and and thought I was getting a great value but the Bears were double and triple covering him all night long so just didn't have an extremely efficient game but in any case want to start this off talking about the Bucks wide receivers and and where we go from here because Chris Godwin unfortunately is out for the season with a torn ACL. Mike Evans is a little bit hobbled with a hamstring injury so their wide receiver group got very depleted very quickly and Antonio Brown I think is expected to be back this week after suffering an injury and then getting suspended for faking his vaccination card status. And so that leaves a couple of different options. The first guy I think that'll step up is Brashad Perriman. He looks like he will return this week over his last three games has only averaged three targets, but has won a route on 53% of the dropbacks, ran around a 90% of dropbacks in week 13 uh, before he got injured in week 14 and was at 36%, but has a an 8.4 yard average depth of target and sort of has some knowledge of, <coughs> excuse me, that system. Other guys to potentially stand up and fill in are Tyler Johnson, who is averaging three targets per game over his last five, had 36 air yards in the game this past week, actually led the team in with seven targets, I guess, of the receivers, led the team with seven targets this past week. Jalen Darden also looks to get involved. He had 99 air yards in the game this past week, only on three targets for a a nice 33-yard average depth of target. Um, he only ran a route on 55% of dropbacks, while Tyler Johnson was at 94% of dropbacks. Scotty Miller, another name to watch as well, had three targets in the game, and but only scored 3.8 PPR points. So I think... Brown, Antonio Brown, when he returns, will sort of fill into the Godwin role. Hopefully Mike Evans' injury is not that terrible, and he returns rather quickly 
But I think the pecking order that I would have is Tyler Johnson, Rashad Perriman, and then Jalen Darden and Scotty Miller. But it's it, it might take a week or two, a week or so to, to try and figure out how that's going to get split up because it's it's not fun when you get a bunch injury injury like that for the Bucks. Okay, let's talk about the Ravens pass catchers. And I say pass catchers here because I'm going to talk about Mark Andrews a little bit, even though this is the wide receiver section. Because, again, he's been phenomenal lately, has had double-digit targets in five of his last seven games. Truly looks like just an elite option at the tight end position, running a route on 87% of dropbacks the last four games and just absolutely crushing it. That's that's all I'll say about him, but he he certainly is sort of the the 1B, I guess, to Marquise Brown's 1A, if you will. Marquise Brown over the last four games averaging just under 10 targets per game as a 26% target share running around a 92% of dropbacks, 0.52 weighted targets per route run. Uh, what was I looking at here? Only 12 PPR points per game and is averaging negative four and a half fantasy points over expectation. Oh, that's what I was looking for. So his average depth of target is only seven and a half yards over the last four game. And Mark Andrews has actually gotten a lot more downfield looks he has a 10.7 yard average depth of target and actually has a 43% air yard share compared to to 28% for Marquise Brown so it really is just those two sort of in their own world and then the rest of the guys I say the rest of the guys and I hate lumping Rashad Bateman into that but their their usage is quite fluky and is all over the place. Bateman did run a route on 96% of dropbacks this past week. That was a season high for him. I believe only missed uh, running a route on two dropbacks. But outside of his eight-target game in week 14, hasn't had more than six targets in a game in his last five games. Had just two targets in the game. This past week. So a very low targets per route run rate. His, I, I think the positive here is that his routes per dropback rate has risen in each of the last three weeks. It, it bottomed out at 38% in week 13. I think I talked about him then, but shot back up to 77% in week 14. And, and again, the 96% that I mentioned this past week, but has, has struggled to maintain a role in this offense. Sammy Watkins was also out this past week, so that very well could have impacted Bateman's usage from a routes perspective. But it's good to see someone like Devin DuVernay go back down to 29% route rate after being above 60% in each of the prior two weeks. But again, DuVernay got three targets in this game compared to just the two for Bateman. So I think certainly from a DFS perspective, well, from a DFS perspective, you really got to grasp at some straws to to play anyone outside of Andrews or Hollywood Brown. But if, if Watkins is out, I think that's the time that Bateman will have an opportunity to shine. Had a 0.15 weighted targets per out run this past game, just an abysmal mark, his second lowest mark of the season behind his week 13 performance when he only got one target and ran around on 38% of drop back. So I think better days ahead for Bateman. Hopefully Lamar returning will boost his stock as well, but something, something that I'll continue to keep an eye on through the rest of the season, through, you know, hopefully the playoffs, I think, the Ravens are in a, a decent position to to make the playoffs, but the AFC 
picture as messy, I think it would be really interesting to get an extra game or two sample size with Bateman just to see how he performs in those games. A group of receivers that I have very little hope for and very little hope for the team in general is the the Giants wide receivers. Daniel Jones is officially done for the season, so they'll be relying on Mr. Mike Glennon as their starter. I wouldn't be surprised to see Jake Fromm get some reps as well, played either the last last drive or the last couple drives in the game against the Cowboys. Another unfortunate injury, Sterling Shepard suffered a torn Achilles, so he is out for the rest of the season. But I think the primary guy that I want to talk about here is Kenny Galladay, who's been injured for stretches throughout this season, hasn't really played like Kenny Galladay at all, but is getting some really solid usage over the last couple of weeks. So in the in the three starts, in the three games that Glennon has started, he's running a route on 80% of dropbacks, which is solid. Has a 19% target share, a 33% air yard share, and is averaging nearly 100 air yards per game. Has over 110 air yards in each of the last two weeks. Darius Slayton isn't far behind him with a 24% air yard share, a 12% target share, and a 78% routes run rate. I think, I I hope Galladay sort of fills in some of the work that Shepard will leave behind with his injury because he was averaging about five targets per game. But... Kenny Galladay has had a weighted targets per route run over 0.55 in three of his last four games, which he had only been above twice in the eight games before that. Doing a little mental math here. And has had double-digit receiving expected points in three of his last four, but hasn't hit double-digit PPR points in a game since week four. So not severely underproducing. I mean, it's not like his receiving expected points per game is up at 20. It's right around 10 and a half, but he's still underperforming, and he's one of those deep threat guys that could, you know, get an end, end zone target or something like that get a deep shot and and take it to the house and make up for the value in just one single play. Um, ben Gretsch's favorite, John Ross, missed the game this past week. Farrell Cooper ran a route on just 8% of dropbacks, got two targets for an outstanding 1.47 weighted targets per run. I'm, I'm just kidding. You can ignore Farrell Cooper. Um, but yeah, I think Kenny Galladay could have a solid last couple games. That's what I'm trying to state here. All right. The last group of wide receivers, as I promised, going to talk through the Titans wide receivers because, again, Julio Jones got injured, injured his hamstring this past week. I... I think he's all but dust at this point, and they're going to need some better pass-catching options in this offense, even with A.J. Brown <clears throat> excuse me, returning. And I think the best candidate to do that is Nick Westbrook-Akine, who over the last three games is averaging – five targets per game, but is running a route on 91% of dropbacks, has a 39% air yard share. Again, Tannehill not throwing the ball a ton, so got to keep that context in perspective, but has an 18% target share, which leads the team, a 0.52 whopper, averaging about 
nine and a half receiving expected points per game has at least five targets in three of his last four games. So I think there's certainly an opportunity for him to play that wide receiver two role behind AJ Brown had 115 air yards in the game this past week had a 0.61 weighted targets per route run uh, trying to find him on the chart here uh, up on the top here. So had a really solid air yards market share over 50% in the game this past week had 15 expected points in the game as well. So someone to keep an eye, I mean, like they haven't necessarily ruled Julio out, but even if, they don't. I'd rather play Westbrook Ikine than Julio at this point. Uh, speaking of p- players who are struggling, Cortland Sutton now has two or fewer catches in seven straight games. Just really struggling over the back half of the season. Going to be very interesting to see where his ADP lands next season. I think a lot of that obviously will be quarterback dependent, but if they get they get a guy like Rodgers or I, I don't think the free agent class for quarterbacks is that good. But if they get someone competent, then I think his ADP will be around seven or eight. Um, someone going in the opposite direction. I'm on Ross St. Brown for the Detroit Lions has a 33% target share over his last three games, has double digit targets in each of those three games. Just absolutely crushing it. Currently the Lions wide receiver one. And <clears throat> Manuel Sanders was out this past week, which led to some elite usage for Gabriel Davis, played on 63 of 70 snaps, ran a route on 38 of 42 dropbacks, got seven targets for a 21% target share, and had five receptions for 85 yards and two touchdowns. So a really solid game for sure if you, if you played the chalk with him. In DFS, it certainly, certainly paid off. All right, starting to to round the show out here. Talking about the tight end position, everyone's favorite. And I talked about Mark Andrews earlier, but want to talk about a different set of AFC North tight ends, and that's the Cleveland Browns. They played in the game last night. The absolute thriller, losing in in terrible fashion to the Las Vegas Raiders. But Austin Hooper was out for this game, which led to a a big usage night, I'll say, for David Njoku, who ran a route on every single drop back for the Browns in the game, had five targets for his second straight game. He missed the Week 14 game, and and they were on by week 13. So that's why I say the last two games because it's been more than two weeks. But in any case, five targets is the second most that he's had in a game. Only scored six PPR points. Had a targets per outrun of one point, uh, excuse me, 0.17, which is, you know, because he ran so many routes and didn't get a ton of run. But over his last three games has a 14 excuse me, 15% target share, which again, isn't terrible for a tight end has 0.21 targets per route run, running a route on 64% of dropbacks. So that sort of overlays with some of the games that Austin Hooper was playing, but Hooper again, in his last three games as well, has an 18% target share running around on 66% of dropbacks. They both have a 14% air yard share but are averaging right around five targets per game. So in the future, I mean, Harrison Bryant really didn't play much of a factor in this game. He only ran a route on 28% of dropbacks. But if one of Njoku or Hooper are out, then the other one certainly becomes a viable play despite not having a huge weekly ceiling by any means another tight end that had a pretty solid 
week, actually a really solid week this past week. His second best game of the season from a fantasy perspective is Dalton Schultz, who scored 20.7 PPR points, ran a route on 90% of dropbacks. And over the last three games with each of the starting wide receivers available is still running a route on 86% of dropbacks, actually has a 14% target share, which is higher than Amari Cooper's 12% target share and is averaging about 10 expected points per game. (coughs) Excuse me. And has scored just one touchdown, but had eight targets in the game this past week, which is tied for his season high. He's hit eight targets now four times, including the game this past week. So really good to see him continue to get strong usage. His routes run rate hasn't dropped below 75% since week eight. So really, really strong usage for a tight end. Again, one of those guys who just sort of needs to find the end zone, but has scored double-digit fantasy points, excuse me, in three of his last five games, has 9.3 in in another one of those games. So I think really good. Dalton Schultz having, I guess, a mini breakout, but a solid year all around. One other nugget from John Daigle. Um, Zach Ertz, he's got some splits here with, Zach Ertz available and unavailable. So with Hopkins, DeAndre Hopkins available, Ertz is running around on about 70% of dropbacks, has a 14% target share. And Zach Ertz without DeAndre Hopkins has run around on 84% of dropbacks, so 14% more, and 20.5% target share, so about 6% more. And DeAndre Hopkins out for the rest of the regular season. So look for Zach Ertz to be a fantasy league winner with the Arizona Cardinals as we wrap up the season, just just as everyone predicted. All right. Now we get to the fun stuff. And I say that tongue-in-cheek because the New York Jets are not that fun. Zach Wilson continues to struggle since returning from his injury over his last four games. He's averaging about 31 passing attempts per game, but has just two touchdowns. Does only have two interceptions. I guess that's a positive, but has a 1.6% touchdown rate, 5.5 adjusted yards per attempt, 56% completion percentage. Uh, isn't throwing the ball downfield at all, just a 6.7 average depth of target, only averaging 185 passing yards per game and has a negative 13, excuse me, negative 12.8% completion percentage over expectation, which is third worst in that span ahead of just Cam Newton and Taysom Hill. So two guys that have just struggled mightily this year, that those are the only guys that he's outperforming. Um, the the Jets have become a little less pass heavy in that span. For most of the season, they had a positive pass rate over expectation, where right around four or five percent, but have shifted to a negative one percent pass rate over expectation in those last four games, and that's. I would say that that's benefited the backfield and the running backs, but they really haven't had that much more success here. In week 15, Michael Carter returned after missing three games on injured reserve. Ty Johnson was out of this game as well, but Carter looked like he returned to, I want to say a bell cow, but he, he really wasn't. He, Played on 44% of snaps, had eight opportunities. He did have, um, excuse me, he had 10 opportunities. Sorry, my sorting got messed up here. He had 10 opportunities, did not record a green zone touch, 
but ran a route on 46% of dropbacks, which is solid. Only scored three PPR points. Um, Tevin Coleman, the other guy who stayed involved, had a 30% snap share, got eight opportunities, did get the only two green zone touches for the Jets. So certainly would have liked to see those go to Carter, but Coleman was not able to take advantage of that by any means. Uh, excuse me, Carter did get one high value touch from the reception that he had and was the only running back to get targeted. He had two targets. So this team just really isn't good enough to sustain a ton of value for really many pieces, but want to talk about the wide receivers here because there's been a little bit of turnover in this passing attack with Corey Davis and Elijah Moore both being out the last two weeks and will continue to be out through the rest of the season. This has opened up things a little bit for Jamison Crowder, who ran a route on every single drop back this past week, had eight targets, which is his most since week eight, his second most of the season. Excuse me, over the last two weeks without them is averaging Seven targets, has a 22% target share, is running a route again on 96% of dropbacks, is averaging negative 3.5 fantasy points over expectation. So that's, I guess, some cause for optimism. But the other two guys that have been kind of interesting are Keelan Cole, who over the last two games is running a route on 78% of dropbacks. That's second on the team. Only has a 13% target share. Has just six and two targets in the last two games. So not a ton, but he has clearly stepped into the Corey Davis role. Has a 16-yard average depth of target. And then Braxton Berrios... Again, he's only running a route on 39% of dropbacks over the last two weeks, but he did have 10 targets in week 14 and then had just one this past week. And the 10 was his actually actually second most in the season. He hadn't had more than three targets in a game since his 11 target week two. So... I don't. I think I'd rather play. I'd rather play Key and Call. I'd rather play nobody uh, if I have other options available. But Cole, I think, could be a a decent DFS dart throw, given he can break off a long run on those deep shots. Uh, the last team here going to talk about the San Francisco 49ers who have been a little bit more exciting and actually like kind of fun to watch as of lately, despite their run first tendencies. I talked about Jimmy G in the episode last week. Not really much has changed about him. He's still playing solid. The 49ers again could, could make some noise in the playoffs. I think assuming they make the playoffs, but want to focus on, the rest of the playmakers because there have been some changing roles here and Elijah Mitchell has been out the past two games it sounds like I believe I saw a report today that there's some optimism that he will return for the game this upcoming week it was either this upcoming week or the next week um but in his absence Jeff Wilson has been the primary guy over the last two games has recorded 88% of the running back touches has had four high value touches in the game this past week ran a route on a season high 67% of dropbacks which is the I believe the highest individual mark for a 49ers running back 
this season played on 88% of snaps, which is also the highest for a 49ers running back as well. Had a really solid 20 PPR points in the game this week. Jermichael Hasty, someone who I thought would have some sort of role because he was getting some pass catching work earlier in the season, is basically a non-factor. He's had three and two opportunities the last two weeks, ran a route on just 4% of dropbacks this past week. So it's it, we'll see what things look like when Mitchell gets back and how Jeff Wilson gets used. But without Mitchell, Jeff Will, sorry, lost my train of thought there. Je- without Mitchell, Jeff Wilson is most certainly being treated like a Belka back. For most of the season, Mitchell has been treated like a workhorse. And in the two games before he got injured, Mitchell played on 70 and 84% of snaps while Wilson was at just 14 and 3%. So this could very well be the first time that we've like ever seen Kyle Shanahan use a, a non-committee in his backfield, but we'll see how that changes when we get back. The The other thing that I'm now realizing is that it is sort of a committee because Debo Samuel is no longer a wide receiver. <laughs> he is the Cordero Patterson of the West Coast and just continues to I mean, it's great to see that. So a couple things, just like real football things, how versatile he is, is just absolutely insane. Getting handoffs out of the backfield, being able to run these crazy routes, the separation he gets, all of that stuff. And to see his role expanded outside of just sort of being the dink and dunk guy who gets a bunch of, passes behind the line of scrimmage is is really good. And it has helped his fantasy value tremendously. So I'm realizing I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I meant to I meant to pull the rushing attempts per game for Debo over the stretch of games because it's been a non- it's been a significant amount of opportunity, so much so that over his last five games, or, or excuse me, over his last four games, is only averaging three targets per game. But he's still averaging 17 PPR points per game. He's found the end zone rushing the ball, is averaging over seven fantasy points over expectation. The good thing is he's still he's running around on 83% of dropbacks. I mean, he only has an 11% target share, which is behind Jawan Jennings over that span. So while his pass catching work has certainly declined, he's making up for it and some with the rushing workload that he does have. So I guess from that perspective, we're still seeing a bit of a committee in San Francisco, and it will be very, very interesting to see how Debo gets used when Mitchell gets back and if they revert him back to, you know, really just catching passes. But without Debo Samuel playing a big factor in the passing game, obviously George Kittle has just had a monster stretch of games, only had six targets in the game this past week, but over his Last five games has a 28% target share, a 30% area yard share, a 1.49 racer, which is just absurd, especially with a really, not a super deep, but not a super shallow eight yard average depth of target is averaging nearly a hundred receiving yards per game. Just continues to absolutely crush it. Him and Mark Andrews are the top tier in the tight end position right now. Travis Kelsey obviously had a big game this past week, but he had had a bit of a slump. But Kittle also running around on 87% of dropbacks. And 
Speaking of players whose role has changed, Brandon Ayuk has run a route on over 92% of dropbacks in each of his last eight games after being over 90% zero times in the first seven weeks of the season and being over 80% just once in his first five games. So has truly had a great second half of the season. Only had two targets in the game this past week, but ran a route on every single dropback for the third time this season over his last five games has a 23% target share, 33% area share. Again, running around on 96% of dropbacks. He's just been, again, aside from the game this past week, I, I think is more of an anomaly, but continues to just have an incredible second half of the season. And hopefully you hold out, held out hope with Brandon Ayuk. All right. That is it for the show today. Thank you all for tuning in. Please like this video. Subscribe to the Ship Chasing Discord. Got my nice hat right here that Christina keeps. She keeps moving it because she doesn't think it belongs in the backdrop. But um, subscribe to the Discord. $5 a month. Make sure you... Tune into the show tomorrow night throughout the offseason. I'm sure there will be a lot of great content with playoff best ball coming up. Continue to have DFS, obviously. Enjoy the games tonight. And until next time, staff that. <laughs> <laughs>